2: Okay, so
3: we can get to um, we can get to questions, um, we'll start with this one from Justin, he's been waiting for a while.
4: Hey guys. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yes. Alright, so you guys did a deep dive on Derek White during the last 15 and 60, which Spurs fans definitely appreciate because if he can reach the levels of performance he had in the bubble, it raises our ceiling, the Spurs ceiling. But my question is about DeJounte Murray and Jakob Pertl, Popovich has clearly fallen in love with this tandem and it's been backed up by their defensive splits together. Um, They're both clearly on positive contracts right now. How do you feel about investing in Murray and Pirtle moving forward as a focal point on the next great Spurs team?
3: So it's interesting. I I have really liked those two together, and this this came up, of course, on the on the last fifteen and sixty, um, because you get a, a couple of different pieces of a defensive foundation there. You get perdle has been a great rim protector. I mean, I had him third in defensive player of the year the last time. He's not getting that buzz, but that's not how I do my rankings. And Murray has been an absolute you know turnover forcing machine. Defensive playmaking is a shorthand that we've used for that. My concern about that pairing, if if the goal is the next great Spurs team, as you said, Justin, the challenge is how are you going to generate that offense? And I I really like Murray, but I don't I don't have trust yet that he is that player. Now the good news is that Murray. You know, his jump shot has been a little hit or miss from three, but I think that you could theoretically get somebody else to fill that role. Maybe that's Derek White. Maybe it's somebody that they'll still need to find. So you, with those two players as the foundation, and and also the Spurs have a lot of other good defenders, I think you have that part pretty squared away. Then you devote a lot of the resources to finding that primary ball handler. And if, if DeJounte gets to that point, if, you know, in 26, he's a much better creator, awesome.
5: Yeah, the thing that stuck, sticks out to Murray for me, I think that's a pretty good defensive tandem. I would like to see what Perto looks like against teams that you have to get further out on the floor for defensively in the playoffs uh, in pick and roll or in the handoff game. But I struggle to think of a team recently that has been a really big winner conference finals type of team with that sort of archetype of DeJounte Murray, really good defender, decent scorer and passer, but not amazing. Not a guy you're like that worried about from three, not going to shoot the three off the dribble above the break necessarily. Now maybe he can get there, but I, I would, I would say probably more likely than not that he doesn't necessarily. And so, and then you also have Pertle, who is, a, you know, I think he could be an adequate offensive center with pieces around him, but he doesn't have any shooting range. And so with those two pieces, you probably are always going to have a ceiling on your offense. Again, unless I mean, Pirtle a lost cause as far as like shooting and stuff like that, but it, maybe Murray can uh, in that. Spurs development system develop his jump shot the way that White has be more of a threat and then this is off but I think that's that's what you're really hoping for when you're talking about that next great Spurs team if this guy's going to be the point guard. A- any reaction to that at all?
4: Yeah, I think uh, many Spurs fans uh, are in agreement. They do remain skeptical of Murray's ability to develop as an offensive player though he has shown some strides. Um, I think it was interesting uh, the head of the SpursTalk.com forum mentioned that uh, Gorji Zheng is an interesting signing. For them, it could be a multi year type option they could look at just because he's uh, such a good uh, shooter. It might kind of help um, the Spurs closing lineups, uh, given if, if Pertle ever gets played off the floor when it really matters, um, having Zhang uh, really helps them.
5: I think he might be overrating Jang a little bit much if we're being honest. I mean, Jang is, I think, 31 already. And defensively, he's kind of – he can block some shots okay, but I I would consider Pirtle to be much better defensively than Jang. So if you're talking about played off the floor – on the defensive end, then I think Pirtle is a better option there. And Pirtle, I love. I mean, Danny was talking about him as number three in defensive player of the year. I didn't have him quite as high, but certainly, you know, he's turning into a top 10 defensive center. But yeah, Jang, and he's been shooting the ball really well the last couple of years. But he's also not a huge volume guy. He also doesn't really do much else. He, I don't know that he's, like, such a good option as a, as a pick-and-pop guy, which is what you would probably really, really want. You know, I think he's okay there, but maybe not like, oh, man, we got to change our whole defense to guard Georgie Jang in, in pick-and-pop. So I think it's it, he's an upgrade on what they had at backup center, and Pop likes his bigs. So it's a good signing. He'll help him this year. But I, I wouldn't go beyond that, I, I don't think.
4: Awesome,
5: thank you guys. Thank you,
3: Justin.
6: We will move on to uh, Ben Chapman. You're next on. You're next up. Hi guys. Um, my head is still spinning after kind of a very, uh, very confusing deadline for the Raptors. Um, and I kind of, I think it's quite evident we have to transition to, uh, to post this season because it's not looking great right now. Um, so obviously we kind of had hoarded some potentially max cap space uh, in the honest sweepstakes, and that's not going to come to fruition. Um, assuming Kyle leaves and, you know, we were announced as rice at the start of free agency, what would be the best use of that, uh, that cap space or what would an ideal off season look like from a Raptors perspective in your guys' opinion?
3: So that, that's interesting. I mean, so you think about where kind of like what the Raptors can do, where they're going. I mean, so if we're using, cause you asked it this way, if that, that Kyle Lowry is leaving, they, they could theoretically go, they could go the cap space route, I, my, my inclination is that I think they need somebody else who can create, who can create good looks like Fred Van Vliet and Siakam, unless Siakam takes another big step forward, which he absolutely can. I, I think that you have enough of a defensive foundation there. So that is probably where I would go. The problem is there aren't that many of those guys available. Maybe they can talk to Spencer Dinwiddie. They could talk to Mike Conley, whose market is going to be absolutely fascinating. But Dinwiddie's coming off an ACL surgery. Mike Conley is 33. So it's true that the the younger than Lowry guys on the Raptors aren't exactly young. You know, Siakam and Van Vliet are in their, in their kind of like late 20s. But I think they're each 27. Um, but... I would be looking for that creator. I think as much as I love Fred VanVleet, I don't need, you know, it's kind of in a way paralleling the Spurs conversation we had. And I think that's what they need to be looking for most. Whatever size that person is, that type of player.
5: So, so I, I think I brought this up before and I would love for, for you to wait on this as well. I think that they are the best fit on the board by quite a bit for DeMar DeRozan. Wouldn't that be insane? That's- but I think he actually is almost exactly what they need. I was on mute but I literally like burst out laughing. <laughs> like I, I mean like it's it, and maybe there's just too many hard feelings that he got traded there or something but and they would need to give him a long contract to me they don't want to do it but if you're just talking about the best guy that they could sign to get better for next year Victor Oladipo actually would be interesting there too although he seems like he's really 40 would be too. lights thing yeah but but because you think about what they need now I, I'm sure they'd love this is assuming that Kyle leaves so you've got Van Vliet at the one and at the three Siakam at the four I would try to get DeRozan and then a center who could shoot a little bit. And I think that would be, you know, obviously they're not going to win the East with that group or anything. But they just need one more pretty good creator. He might be the guy. He really might
6: be and are there like any of the uh restricted free agents that you think could realistically change teams that you think we could drop an offer sheet on like a Jared Allen or anything like that or um just where you know we've seen such poor results from our center play this year i think that could be a potentially wise investment but it's i'm assuming cleveland didn't give up a first round pick to to let him go or but if there's any restricted free agents that you could see reasonably changing teams that might be a fit as well
3: i don't i don't know that he's necessarily a fit but i think Mitchell Robinson is going to be- be significantly more gettable than Jared Allen. When you think about Allen kind of not having anybody blocking him and you think about, the the where where he kind of is with Cleveland Mitchell Robinson we don't exactly know his place with the Knicks long term they've brought in players around not necessarily above him but you know Leon Rose has been very comfortable with that and there was the reporting that they were going after Andre Drummond as well something they could do again in free agency with their cap space so I don't know if James Dolan's just like hey you know we're gonna decline like like I'm fine decline his op you know decline his options spend all your money and then use and then match match an offer sheet maybe that's there but. But my instinct is that he's more gettable than, than Jared Allen.
5: Yeah, that's a, he may just be under contract for next year, too. Uh, which is, oh, true. I, I mean, we'll, 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 I, I, and Danny, I think I think this is probably fair to say, too, because they have that team option on him. If they decline that team option, they're doing it because they have a new contract with him. Otherwise, they'll just hold on to him, I would think. I, 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 they, I ad- they are doing that as part of a deal.
3: They, they could. I mean, it's... It could be as part of a deal, but it could also be, you know, like you don't want players to hit unrestricted free agency. Like I think that as a kind of a risk premium, it, but you're, it could kind of, it could be that way. I think you're right, but I don't think it's definitive that it has to be.
5: Uh, Zach Collins is a name who I think sure. might be interesting uh, for them as well. But uh, you know, I yeah, came across it on basketball, sure.
6: basketball Reference the other day, and he kind of caught my interest as well. Yeah, and,
3: and I think the problem with John Collins, I, so Collin, John Collins, the interesting thing is basically, like, can you build enough of a perimeter defense that he that he he works, and then like then you get into some really fascinating team building concepts, and maybe you could theoretically put somebody behind Collins. You know, you think of the front court as an ecosystem where you're going to, you know, you have one person who's a center and then one person and then one person who plays with Collins, presumably Pascal Siakam. I would love to see it. I don't think it's going to happen, but I mean, if any team was going to roll the dice on
6: Collins at the five, I
3: think the Raptors would be the best fit.
6: Also crossed my mind. It's going to be an interesting offseason for sure. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Ben.
3: Let's jump to Matt. You are next on the list.
6: Hi, guys. Uh, I know the Clippers are playing really well late. They've had a nice win streak, but do you think there's a chance if things don't go well this playoffs that Kawhi considers leaving more than he kind of is currently? I feel like there's kind of more volatility to the situation than like some are giving it credit
5: for. Yeah you know there there was reporting recently of like oh some teams are trying to keep their cap space open for Kawhi which was uh that that was that was a little interesting. I mean that's the first even peep that we've heard of uh, about that but yeah I mean I th- as long as the Clippers play well I think that's where Kawhi wants to be uh and so I I'm uh I don't think there's too much fire there for that smoke yet. What do you think, Danny?
3: I I generally lean that direction. I mean, for me, the calibrator always is, has a player made a definitive choice to choose that place? And once they do, I'm more reluctant to think that they're going to be on the move. Like, that's the difference between... Like Victor O'Dipo in Indiana, where he never chose to be there until he kind of in some ways chose not to be there, versus LeBron James signing with the Lakers and then re-signing with the Lakers. And you could bring up the Cavs and the Heat, you know, he left both of those teams, but LeBron is also LeBron. And and for Kawhi, the other reason why I would be somewhat skeptical is that I cannot see a situation where he jumps to Team X and Team X is better than the Clippers with Kawhi. Like that is the way, like that was the, I mean, I talked a lot about Kevin Durant theoretically joining the Warriors. And a big part of why that resonated with me was the idea that Durant on the Warriors was better than the, the Warriors with Durant were better than the, than the Thunder with Durant. And I don't see like if, if he jumped to Miami, if he jumped to, you know, the Raps again, I don't see any of those teams as being better with him than the Clippers would be with him.
5: I think the Raptors would be better, but that's, uh, I I just love their personality. I'm always going to have a fond place in my heart for that 2019 Raptors team. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. Let's, uh, do you want to weigh in uh, again here uh, on that?
6: Yeah, uh, I think the Heat would be interesting just because if you had Bam, Jimmy, and Kawhi on it from a defensive angle, mm. that that would be pretty scary. Uh, but I I do see your point, and I think if the Clippers, as long as things go semi, you know, normally this playoffs, I think Kawhi stays. But I just think the West is so open this year. There's so many teams kind of that are really competing and really going for it like the Blazers and stuff like that so I think it'll be interesting to see
3: it, it would not stun me to see Kawhi re-sign but on a shorter term contract like especially if this year goes weird but not catastrophically bad that he just you know you want to see where it works out the bubble was the bubble and just like hey you know like let's say they lose to the Lakers in the conference finals or something like I could see him wanting to run it back but also not willing to say I want to do, you know, another four years here for sure. I could see that as a possibility.
5: Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since... here in the program. that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us uh
3: thanks matt that was that was that's a fun do- i hadn't thought about that too much but that's a, that's a, a good um we and now we can go to uh on um hey guys you there yeah yeah i'm there can you yes hear
5: me? okay yeah what you got for us
1: um, okay um i i had a question presumably let's say the raptors stay around the range they're in right now so i think their odds would be for the seventh pick i think I think they're the seventh worst record in the league, which sounds crazy to say, but it is. Well, who do you guys see in that prospect range that would be a good fit alongside their young core of what they say is Van Vliet, Ananobi, and Siakam?
5: So uh, I'll say this, uh, and yeah, well, that that is pretty amazing to see. They are, uh, they'll be hard-pressed to keep up with Oklahoma City, probably, and probably Sacramento uh, as well. So they'll probably be more in the 10 range. But honestly, uh, Danny and I, usually what we do, we're watching so many NBA games during the season that we usually don't start looking at film for... Draft prospects until after the second round of the playoffs are over and there's only one game a day, and then we actually have time to really dive in. And we usually we'll do about the top ten, maybe fifteen or so prospects if you count some of the mini scouts. So uh I am sad to say that I am probably not qualified as of right now, at least to answer your question. But uh jump back in in uh well, I guess it won't be June. It'll be uh July. You know, July and ask that question and we know where toronto is and absolutely will answer it for you
3: but if you want to ask something else we can try to answer that <laughs> <laughs> um do you
1: do you think aaron baines is the worst center in the nba because i feel like crying every time i see him
5: the the worst starting center in the nba um starting yeah he fell off pretty like, quickly huh yeah. uh, he was he is living off that first month and a half or so in Phoenix last year the worst starting center in the NBA that's that's a tough question let me go through and look at, at who some of the other candidates are I mean it's not it's not high uh, in those rankings
3: I mean whoever we're counting as the magic starting center right now is probably in that conversation.
5: Yeah, I mean, I'd probably rather rather have Wendell Carter Jr. than Baines at this point. He's just he's just so slow. Although that dunk he had the other day against Portland was actually pretty sick. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's just the mobility I mean, just kind of isn't there anymore. For
3: I mean, him. I would rather if the goal was to win games for the remainder of this year, I would probably rather have Baines than James Wiseman. I'm not saying yeah, moving forward, I'm not or, saying or, anything
5: else or or Kevon Looney. No, I I think that's fair. Um, trying to scroll through and see who else. Would be in there. Yeah, there's not a many others, but I mean, th- you know, th- there's a reason that he was available. They waited on Ibaka. They waited on Gasol. Both those guys left, and he was the only guy left to, at that point. So, but
3: but the the best part of business there for the Raptors is that they were able because probably because of the dynamics with 2022, they were for for this summer. Sorry, um, Bain's only having one guaranteed year. I mean, that looks pretty pretty good for the Raps. If you sign a guy to a bad contract, but you're only paying him for one year, it's not too bad.
5: Yeah, I would say Robin Lopez is probably is probably better than him. I mean, Moses Braun is on a nice little run in OKC, but he's still pretty inexperienced. Like on a real team, he, he might get exposed a little bit. But yeah, I mean, but they signed him to a one year deal for seven million. That's what you get. Uh they were taking a risk that he would hold up and he didn't, obviously. Um should we go on to the next one here, Danny?
3: Yeah, let's do it. Um Jason Johnson, you are next. Jason, you there? You are muted according to my stuff. Can you guys hear me? Yes, now I can hear you. Hey, how's it going?
2: Um, so my question is, uh, I am a big Lakers fan. Um, Dennis Schroeder turned down the, uh, I think it's four years, $84 million that the Lakers... Uh, extension that the Lakers could offer him. Uh, talking about
5: group chat earlier, we were trying to figure out. Oh, he has a twenty-three million dollar cap hold on the Lakers. So if he signs somewhere else, that cap hold does fall off,
6: correct? And we're able to use that money in free agency.
5: Well, so, yeah, it'll go. Go ahead, Danny.
3: Well, the answer is is yes and no, but mostly no, because the way the way it works is you would the Lakers would have to have cap space to um to do it and when they're paying lebron 41 million paying anthony davis 35 the lakers are not going to have cap space really in any circumstance however they could negotiate sort of like the boston celtics did they could negotiate that shooter when he goes to the other team maybe give them a second round pick to negotiate it as a sign and trade and then that way the lakers would generate a big trade exception which they could then use to acquire another player now there would probably be somebody under contract somewhere else but that is that is still a a, a possibility. So no, Dennis Schroeder walking does not open up that cap space automatically. But it might open up an avenue to add somebody to replace him or add depth somewhere else on the roster.
5: So so I'll give you the math uh, on that. With so only the guys they have under contract plus their draft pick and then the five million dollar stretch of Luol Deng they would be basically right at the salary cap at that point so you still are trying to resign Taylor Horton Tucker obviously you probably would want to be resigning Montrez Harrell as well that probably is going to get you right you know to about the tax so you probably even in that circumstance you might be a little hard-pressed to use the full mid-level exception, which would be a little bit less than 10 million, you can sign up to a four-year deal on that. So that's part of the problem. And that's you get to it here. That's exactly why Dennis Schroeder turned that down. Now, that is still a lot of money to turn down, 84 million guaranteed. Uh, they if they truly offered in the largest amount that they could, which, you know, maybe there were some non-guarantees on the end of that or something, uh if they truly offered that, I think I would have considered taking it seriously. But I think what he's gambling on is that they are going to say, "Hey, we have no way to replace this guy. We have to reset him. Like Mark, you saw that with Marcus Morris last year with the Clippers. They got him, they had his bird rights, and if they let him go, they still would have been at the cap. They would have had no way to replace him. Uh, my colleague John Hollinger calls that the bird rights trap. So Shooter is. Uh, you know, we'll see whether $90 million out there guaranteed for him is really there in the offseason or whether he can get more than that uh, and whether he's kind of got the Lakers over a barrel. But I'll tell you what, if he wants to get paid that much, he damn well better have an awesome playoffs and they better have a lot of success. Because if they lose in the second round, then, you know, they're not going to be interested in – they'll probably they'll probably lower their offer, uh, I would think, eventually. And, you know, maybe he'll be part of the sign-and-trade, like Danny said. But that's an important distinction. If the Lakers had less salary on the books aside from him, then, yeah, they would be able to use that money. But they just have too much with it, James and Davis, uh, KCP and Kuzma. They're basically right at the cap just with those four guys. Does that answer your it does, question?
2: It does. Thank
5: you.
3: Oh, you're very welcome. We can move on to uh, Fars. Fars, you are on the air. You there? Fars? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi, uh, big Trailblazers fan. And I had a question. Um, are the Blazers even favored against any of the teams in the in the playoffs? You know, whether they end up being the sixth seed with the way things are, Lakers or whatnot. But would you even see like a favorable position for them that they should
5: try to, you know, jockey for position at the end? Thanks. I think they've got a decent shot against utah or phoenix i wouldn't favor them um you know i mean it's probably unrealistic for them to get into having home court advantage i think they would have a decent chance against denver too honestly like i, I wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily favor them but it, also we haven't seen this team now with norman powell yusuf nurkic is just getting back cj is kind of working his way into shape as well so I think that it's possible that there is you know, a team that can play at a 50-win type of level over the course of a season with all these guys here. So I, I think they could be in the mix with those teams. Phoenix might be too good for them, and the two LA teams. Those are the only teams that I don't think I'd give them much of a shot against, but anyone else? I think they got a decent chance. What do you think, Danny?
3: I think that's about right. So if we're drawing the line as far as said, at favoring them, assuming equal health and everything, it probably wouldn't be there. But I think they have a a pretty decent shot. And so I I think my, my inclination is I'd be trying to go for the, go for the four or five. I mean, it's, it's first of all, generally speaking, I mean, that team is going to be the weakest of it in terms of record. And maybe, maybe they had a health related thing, but yeah, I think especially with their kind of their new formulation, I mean, a, a Nuggets Blazers series would also be intensely fun, which would be, which would be interesting. And I would, I would prop, and then of course you have the Nurkic, Jokic, and all, all that, all those dynamics as well. Um, but I would say, given how well the Suns are playing and and all the white, all the perimeter defenders that they have, I would probably, I would rather face Denver than them as the Blazers. I'm not saying that's true for every team. Also, the Suns are just, they're really, really good right now. So I would be leaning, I'd be leaning that direction. Uh, what do you think, Fars? I mean. That Denver series was probably one of the best series I've seen from them over the last 10 years. I mean, so I can't say no against that. The Jazz are kind of the team where, you know, it's one of those teams where you feel like they're, you know, great record and everything, playing really well. But will they, you know, be in the playoffs, right? They did lose in the first round up, you know, 3-1. So something to question there. But you know what? I'm happy for this season considering all the stuff that happened. Yeah, it's it's going to be a lot of fun to see how the West how the West shakes out. Like Nate and I haven't yet; we're still too far out to get into like
5: the series we want to see. But there are going to be a lot of a lot of good contenders there. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets. From there as well, I felt really good about having them be the outfair of my wedding because...
3: uh, we can get to uh, Jared. You are next on the air.
2: Yeah, good I Just got a question about Dallas Mavericks. Sure. Yeah. Um. So, assuming health for KP mainly, um, what do you think their ceiling is for for this season? I think they're kind of in
5: in that same mix we were talking about with the Blazers, where you know, wouldn't I? I actually like their matchup against the Nuggets pretty well. We'll see whether having Aaron Gordon for the Nuggets could change that as far as somebody to guard Luka but I do think that Porzingis is a pretty tough matchup for Nikola Jokic with his ability to spread the floor and you know I don't I would I don't think I would favor the Mavs in that series particularly if the Nuggets had home court but I think I put it in the same category as the Blazers are just a pretty decent fighting chance against anyone except the full strength Lakers and the Clippers I don't I don't think I like the Mavs as much matching up against the Jazz maybe as I do Portland. Um, But a lot of this is just Portland and the Mavs are, to me, are very, very good teams on paper. They just got to play a little bit better than they have been so far. And this has been such a weird year in terms of the the season. So, uh, you know, you still, to me, my priors are a little bit stickier than like what I thought of these teams at the start of the season and just looking at the talent on the team and evaluating them that way as opposed to the way it would be in a normal year, just because there's been COVID absences. The Mavs gotten killed by that. There's been injuries. They're playing every other day, sometimes even more than that. And so it's just that there's no fans. And so I'm I'm kind of more thinking of just like, I'm going to just look at this team and what I thought of them before the season. I factored that in a little bit more. Um, uh, but any reaction to that?
2: Yeah, well, I was thinking that... Um... The way they've been handling the numerous back-to-backs back that they've had, and I think they've got another five or six moving forward, they're probably going to struggle to get any higher than fifth or sixth seed um, unless yeah. they've got some sort of crazy run. Um, so I think realistically, probably expecting uh probably a first round exit in after six or seven games, um, depending on the matchup and um whether that's a successful season or not, it's kind of hard to tell what their expectations were coming into the season. Considering you, even though Luke is an MVP sort of candidate, you're still only 22, so you got to temper yeah. the expectations a little bit.
3: Well, and I, I think well,
2: that, yeah, go ahead, sorry. Yeah.
3: Sorry, it, a lot of in, in circumstances like this, what I find most interesting is not, you know, like how the fan base reacts to it. But how do how do the decision makers respond to it? Because Dallas had these lofty ambitions. You know, they had cap space, still do potentially for 2021. And will, you know, will good players be interested in them? The crop is obviously worse than it was. Do they try to kind of keep the group together, maybe try to re-sign some of their pending free agents? Or, you know, try to maybe go in a different direction. We've heard the murmurs about them at least listening to stuff on Kristaps Porzingis, and so... Oh, sometimes those decisions are fair, sometimes they're unfair. You know, the people thought that they were a team X was going to be great and they weren't. And so it's just like, let's go in a, a more more bold direction. So Mark Cuban, Donnie Nelson, like I don't my instinct is that if that's the way the season goes is like a a reasonable first round exit, but definitely not further than that. If that's where this thing goes, I would be fine with that when you consider the greater context, but I'm not
2: sure that they will be. One other, one other quick question. Um, Do you think Melly, um, can actually be a, a reasonable backup power forward for Dallas this season, considering the other options Pro- they've got? Uh,
5: probably not. I, I mean, I, I guess, like, can he just, you throw him in there and maybe he'll hit a few shots and not kill you, possibly. But I, I like, unless somebody's injured, I wouldn't really see much need uh, to play him. I mean, between Kali San, Kleba can play either big position, Porzingis, and then, you know, they'll, Fit Boban in in a few matchups as well. Uh, you know, Dwight Powell, maybe he's a little bit better than Dwight Powell just because Powell's really struggled this year coming off the Achilles. Uh, but he seems like more someone who probably shouldn't be a, a part of their regular rotation unless there are injuries to me. He's not very good defensively. He's And he's like a solid shooter, but he's not, you know, Davis Bretons or something like that. Okay,
2: thanks for that.
3: Thanks, Jared, for the question. We can move on to, uh, Kanzi, you're next. And obviously, correct me if I get your name wrong. I want to try to get a better at it moving forward. Uh, it's Kanzi. Thanks. Kanzi. Okay. Yes. Um,
1: I was wondering if you guys had any thoughts on the sixth man of the year race. Um, seems to me that Clarkson is playing a lot worse recently. Um, and maybe we're talking about the wrong, wrong, uh, jazz bench player and that uh joe ingles has actually been a lot more impactful uh do you think well, that's something that yeah. voters are gonna pick up on
5: uh there's zero chance whatsoever that voters will pick up on it but i think it is pretty close to correct and i will read you my notes from our awards podcast that we did for dunked on prime in which i had joe ingles number two and i said i think people are talking about the wrong jazz player <laughs> for, <laughs> for six man And at that that time, which was, you know, a week and a half ago, uh, Ingles was, like, leading – he was, like, going to set the NBA record for true shooting. However, I think that – Thaddeus Young, as of now, is uh, by far the leader to me, just because the Bulls have been good when he's played, and they basically have just been god-awful when he hasn't. And we'll see whether that changes now with Vucevic, and he's going to be in the starting lineup. He has been for a little bit, so he may, by the end of the season, it might be that he's ineligible. But as far as the guys who are eligible right now, I think Thaddeus Young, but certainly Joe Ingles uh, would be in there for me as well. And, and Clarkson also um, some of the other stalwarts like Maxi Cleva, who I has had a rough year with COVID and stuff. He's usually in there for me, but uh, Danny, we, we know that you and I don't really see this as the same way that most voters do.
3: Right. And, and not only typically from the, as Seth partner puts it, the yay points perspective, you know, which is, which is often the, like the, the fixed man of the year is the person who scores the most points and comes off the bench. But also in the sense of, you know, what what the role is. And so Nate and I both prefer players who can close games, who have, the, who have that aptitude, and ideally who can defend. Like, I had Ingles one and Thaddeus Young two last time, and then I think I had Montrez Harrell third. And I think the case for them, I mean, Ingles, Boucher, Halliburton is the top three on Kevin Pelton's warp board right now. And Ingalls, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting when you when you think about just like that his role is there. It's just not the same kind of kind of usage thing. And so I I hope that the conversation gets there. I hope that I mean, assuming Ingalls deserves it, Nate and I will use the megaphones that we have to help boost that. And there are people who vote who listen to us or at least listen to us in the sense of listen to us in the sense of listen to the podcast, whether they do what we tell them to do is obviously their own agency. But
5: yeah, I don't, yeah I, I don't, our megaphone – my megaphone is running low on batteries. Like it has – it's one of those old <laughs> ones that has like a bunch of like D-cell batteries in it. And like I don't know if they even sell D-cell batteries anymore. So uh, I, 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 I you, can't uh, say we, we keep have –
1: yeah, If you so. keep shilling Thad Young, I think uh, – I don't think they'll be listening.
5: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So but, – but here's – I mean one of the things Danny Dan talked about this ability to close games. How many games has Jordan Clarkson closed for the Jazz? I mean I haven't watched every Jazz game, but I'm guessing – it's fewer than 10 that he's really been out there for the majority of the last five minutes of the game when it's been close. Uh, and, you know, Joe Ingles, I think, is close a little bit more. They, they kind of alternate between him and uh, Boyan a, a lot of the time. Uh, and just, you know, I, I think, uh, Young Ingles, those guys are just better overall basketball players. But I think Clarkson is gonna win it. He's scoring a ton of points. He's got by far the highest usage of someone coming off the bench. He's like twenty-nine percent. And like the next guy highest guy is like twenty-five. So he's gonna score more points. His per thirty-six numbers in terms of scoring are good, even though his efficiency is dumped a little bit. But especially with the jazz there'll be a feeling with the jazz being the best team probably having the best record in the nba you know rudy gobert and donovan mitchell aren't going to be in the mvp so i think coach of the year Snyder, will probably get it defense player of the year rudy will get it and then there'll be a continued spotlight on them and they must be well hey if they don't have anyone in the mvp conversation and they're this good uh, then you know we got to give them more shine in terms of words so i would predict that clarkson will win it but again i you know as far as who i would want on my team definitely that he is doing he's by far the best defensive player of any of the guys who who are in this and uh the his he improves the performance of his team the most of anybody who's in this
1: all right. Thanks, so.
5: Thanks for the question. I, I got a quick one here I want to do, Danny. Uh, this is from uh, Neto Carter on Twitter. He, he's an ER doctor, so he can't make it. But he he uh, tweeted us. He wants to ask about our overall thoughts about the G League, the Ignite team. And asked if the one-and-done era is over uh, or if the Ignite team will just be for the top few prospects.
3: Well, the one-and-done era won't be over until... Until it actually is, I think there are a lot of players that want w- like the the attention. You know, like going to college is a is a big spotlight, and we'll see what happens with Jalen Green and Kaminga and Nix and some of these other guys. Like where they actually get drafted, the situations that come up, will they will they benefit from that in a way that you know Glenn Rice Jr. and some of these other players that have gone through the G League first did not? I think that's the case. Also, they're way better prospects, so that will be useful too. Um, but generally speaking, I think that it is it is a nice and necessary improvement to the system as it is. I have been outspoken for a long time saying that I think that players, you know, if you're if come out of high school, you should be able to go to the pros. But in the world where that is not possible, I think that the G, I think the ignite team will will exist and persist, and is a very b- beneficial option for all these young guys.
5: What I would add to that is we'll see what happens as far as like actually play paying some of these players. We'll see what happens with the name image and likeness stuff as well. And it could be that, you know, the I think Jalen green's getting like a million and some of the other guys are getting like 500 K. If you can, if you're Zion Williamson and you go to Duke, you might be able to get more for your name, image and likeness. Even if you're not getting paid technically by the school, than you would just going and toiling in the G league, uh, I think one nice thing is that Green and Kaminga, it doesn't seem to have hurt their stock. By going to the G League at all, they're still going to be top five picks. I think they had a chance to showcase themselves, and I think the other thing too that was important was that that team was actually competitive, and it wasn't just like by playing these guys, they were just the worst team in the G League bubble. They were actually you know pretty much a, an average type of team, maybe a little above average. Um, I'll watch more of their film obviously later when we really get into the draft stuff. So part of that was probably because those guys were all practicing together for longer than some of these other G League teams were, but they they got a lot of talent. I thought this idea of having a lot of old. That's to come in there like Jarrett Jack to kind of mentor these guys and also play with them so they would be competitive. I thought that was a really good formula. And then the last thing I'll say too is there still are going to be players who are going to go to college and are going to have unbel- unbelievable years in college that you don't expect, right? Like Trey Young, the guys who, you, who emerge that you had no idea were going to be one and done before that. Nobody thought that about Trey Young. He comes out, he's the fifth pick in the draft because he goes to Oklahoma and he's unbelievable. There's always going to be players like that Because the scouting in AAU is not perfect to to know who's going to be a draft pick. Even after one year it changes, not to mention, you know, a a few years there'll be other guys in college who can emerge as well. Your OB Toppin types... So I think it'll continue to be kind of an amalgam going forward here, but the name, image, and likeness thing is the big thing that that I'm going to be curious about.
3: And briefly, from uh, Joel Barthas in the in the discussion, I think this is a totally fair point. He said that the Jazz aren't closing games with Clarkson because he's he's worse than Conley and Mitchell, and that's not an indictment to him. I think that's a totally fair point, but it is also a demonstration of Ingles' value that he can be out in those situations. And at a certain point, you know, fairness fairness matters, but it also isn't isn't indicative and angles by being a forward-sized player who can actually defend his position that, that that does help him but we can get back to your questions and john you are on the air john you there hey john oh john has disappeared john if you come back on we will we will get you oh here i think he's popping back in now can
6: you just- here we go.
3: Yes.
5: Yeah, we, we got you now. What's go. up, John?
4: How's it going, guys? Um, I was just wanted to know I'm a big Thunder guy. Um, uh, was curious about what kind, what pieces that they currently
3: have do you think could be in a team where they start contending. Shea obviously can be there. I mean, I'm a huge believer in his potential on a on a very good team. Is the the, the pick and roll chops that he has shown in particular, his jump shot getting better off the dribble. Um, you know, there's still room to grow defensively, but I mean, his defensive tools are better than numerous other guys who kind of fill his job. I'm you know, it's interesting. like pukaszewski has been better now than he than he was before. Um, and I've liked some of the signs from like Teo Maladon and Baisley. But in terms of players that I think are definitely starters on the next great Thunder team, probably Jess Shea for now. But they have a lot of guys that I – oh, and Dort, obviously. Um, but they have a lot of guys that I'm interested in as like, you know, potentially getting there, though I'm not totally sure they will. How about yeah, you, to
5: me, yeah, Yeah, to me, um, as I go through, I don't see any of these guys who are just the wrong type of player. Maybe that's Moses Brown, but he probably profiles as more of a start the game, but don't finish the game type of center on a a good team. And he's, he's obviously just scratching the surface. We'll see. But even someone like Teo Maladon, he's got pretty good size for the point guard position. I think that's one of the things that all these guys have positional size, positional athleticism. And while not all of them are going to work out, the theory of them is pretty good. And it's too early to say whether Darius Baisley or Poku or neither are going to be their power forward of the future. And. Certainly they have enough draft picks in the future that we are going to see plenty of competition coming in for those guys uh, on a yearly basis. But I like what they're building there. You know, I'm not sure that. Basely or Poku is the answer. And they really need, probably the biggest thing they need is like a three who, who's got uh, multiple, uh, you know, a, a diverse skill set. um And, and a, you know, a two would be nice also, who's really, you know, one of those positions, Dort can really probably guard either the two or the three. So you bring someone in who can shoot, handle, be your, your second main scorer. That's probably the biggest thing that they need that they don't really have in the pipeline. But considering they just started the rebuild, Looking pretty good so far.
3: Yeah, and uh, just as one stray note, as we as we get into this, I mean, I was I was working, I'm working on a team by team kind of cap preview piece, and the Thunder, both in terms of cap space, but in many ways, more importantly, in terms of draft assets, they have so much on the line during the lot during the lottery because not only is it where their own pick ends up, but also where that Houston pick ends up because if it is if that pick that from the kind of the swap rights with the rockets, if that falls outside of that top, that top four protection, then they might have, you know, multiple top five picks, depending on how this works out. Maybe it's like four and seven, whatever it ends up being. And, that could really jumpstart this moving forward. And something else that I really like about the way Sam Presti did this—not a surprise, considering how how I think about these things—is a diversified portfolio. So they like they have a lot of different ways to improve. Now, not all of them are blue chip assets. Not all of them are going to become top ten picks, like the Rockets one might, but some of them could, and that that's definitely a very good thing for them moving forward.
5: Any reaction to that at all before we get moving here?
3: Oh, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, I think uh, I kind of like, I mean, obviously the Cade tie is what everyone dreams about. But I I watched a little bit of G League. I really would like Jalen Green next to Shea. Um, and I mean, if the Houston pick conveys and our pick maybe gets in the top five, I think there's a real shot that maybe we could see that happening. Yeah, and maybe you could also theoretically, depending on how teams see this board, you could move up. I don't think they could move up to one based on what I'm kind of hearing about how things things about Kate Cunningham. But it's possible maybe if they, I don't know, if they really like somebody at two and they don't get the second pick, that could be a possibility. Um, Thanks, thanks John, for the question. And before that, before we get to the next one, uh, a small point that I want to make. It's interesting, you know, Nate and I and then also my writing talked about the. The Orlando, the Orlando Fire Sale, and there were people who were frustrated. I guess you could say that I that didn't acknowledge like the pain that this causes for for Magic fans. And yeah, there there is something, and it, it is a bitter pill to swallow. However, I think Oklahoma City, while not necessarily the most representative, can be instructive in terms of sometimes watching a rebuilding team is more fulfilling and more enjoyable than watching a team that is, you know, basically you're hoping for them to make the playoffs and then get knocked out summarily in the first round. Like, not every team is as fun to watch as a Thunder Army. You could look at some of the other, you know, some of the other less talented teams in the league. But as a fan experience, and, you know, I'm a fan of other sports where in a way that I'm not with the NBA because it's my job, I find that too. Like sometimes those young raw teams, like thinking back to the San Francisco Giants and the Niners of my past are more fun than the kind of like middle of the road treadmill teams
5: to me. That's an interesting point. I would draw a distinction between a team like the Magic and, as a fan, and again, I'm more removed from that uh, mindset as well, but I would draw a distinction between a team like the Magic and a team like, say, Portland. And now let, let's pretend, Danny, that Portland never made it to the conference finals. Like that was kind of a fluke. Like they haven't been the second best team in the Western. Let's say, you know, they were kind of winning in the first round, sometimes losing in the first round, sometimes always losing in the second round. That's kind of more what the team has been in the Lillard era. And, but to me though, Damian Lillard is such an incandescent star and plays such an exciting style and is so high character and the team... The team is always going to be really watchable when he's around. And there's, to me, compared to, say, Nikola Vucevic and Evan Fournier and Aaron Gordon, he and CJ together, that's just, it's a little bit better. You've got a fighting chance in the first round. Maybe you luck into the conference finals the way they did one year. And Dame Lillard is just, you know, he's going to have these unbelievable moments like that game winner against the Thunder in uh, 2019. So that to me, like that type of team, I understand. Like I'm not I've never been one who's like, oh, they gotta trade CJ, they gotta blow up the Blazers. I think they're fighting the good fight. They're trying to get more pieces around Dame during this period, and they'll but they're always gonna kind of be underdogs in the Western Conference. Whereas Orlando, guaranteed 4-1 loss, seventh, eighth seed, that type of team to me as a fan, and particularly because they didn't play a particularly sexy style either, where you're getting like a lot of excitement just on a night-to-night basis. That's that's where I, the line between that Orlando team and that Portland team, that's like it where I would draw it as far as like, okay, blow it up or don't blow it up.
0: Okay, At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.
3: Let's jump on to Eli. You're on the air. Uh, Can you guys hear me? Yes.
1: I couldn't hear you guys for a second. I'm sorry. But did I go out? Can you guys hear hear me? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Okay, I'm sorry. uh,
5: Uh, uh, We'll try to keep it quick. We're going to move into the lightning round here. We've got about 10 minutes left.
1: Yeah, okay. So there's there's been uh there's been a there's been a rising conversation about like how about like how Julius Randle is like you know or carrying the Knicks to a certain height or whatever because of you know how good they've been this year as opposed to other years and uh that same conversation isn't uh, happening for somebody like a like a Trey Young who you know is averaging like 27 per 75 uh and has the second highest box creation and has Atlanta at a 119 offensive rating when he's on the court and uh why do you guys think that's the case is it because of how big he is is it because of like style of play or is it just because of like he's not a likable dude like why is Trey Young being like underrated in the grand uh, scheme of a uh, basketball?
5: Well, well, first of all, Eli, I think you're, are you on like a lot of group threads? where people always make the argument, oh, he's carrying this team. Like do people say that to you like your buddies say that to you all the time. Because no, I think he, I think you had a wrong. similar question so last week like, if I remember. Like in the analytics and and the yeah. analytics uh, sphere where I- Okay, yeah. So so I agree with you. I think Trey Young is way better than Julius Randle I and mean, they weren't necessarily competing for All-Star cuz they play different positions, but uh, I think Trey Young is a much better player than Julius Randle and obviously the Knicks are going to get a ton of attention being in New York and Julius Randall is putting up the counting stats. Uh, you know, I don't think Julius is like some great defensive player. That's how the Knicks have been doing it with this number three yeah. defense. They've been in the twenties on offense and Randall's been good. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and maybe in other years, I think he could have been an all-star, but, you know I would have had Trey over him I would have had a, a number of guys over him in the all-star conversation and yeah I think it's just style of play I mean when you nice. hear people talk about trey like what are, what are the things that they say that he's ass. what he searches for fouls he's he's a yeah. bee bird <laughs> well well I mean the biggest thing that people don't understand about Trey young is he's a top five passer in the NBA he is such a good passer he's got and, like an and I mean yeah pass rating And like obviously we know like the the reads he
1: can make and the release package he has, especially like everything and roll. And he's not even doing it with like the surrounding cast is oh. so great. Like, yeah. he has a low, like, uh, Atlanta has, like, a, if you're, uh, if you're big into uh, back picks metric, that is, Atlanta has, like, a 116 uh, spacing, or, or the guys he's on the court would have a 116 spacing, as opposed to somebody who like Zach Levine, who has a 120 spacing. Like, he's doing this with an uh, offensive roster that just isn't that good in reality. And he's making him seem so much better. I think he's a top 20 player, in my opinion.
5: Yeah. Well, we're going to do those rankings pretty soon uh, for the pot. Thanks for, thanks for the question, Eli. Uh, Denny, you want to get? Uh, maybe we can get like four more in here, but before we have to go, just try to. We'll do like thirty seconds each or something.
3: Yeah, we'll we'll start with Jack Kennedy.
5: Hey guys, how are you doing?
6: Good. How are you? So um, yeah, I have a question regarding the Warriors, and basically, as we know, they have the Minnesota pick and potentially their own first-round pick next year. And James Wiseman. Do you think, like, based on you know your reporting, like, are they in sort of like a position where, in the off season, if a superstar were to become available, do you think they're more inclined to trade those pieces? Because I think that's probably one of the strongest pa- trade packages that any team can put together, apart from OKC, maybe uh, for any veteran All-Star. Do you think they're in a position to do? that and didn't they want to do that uh to sort of go along with Stephen clay
3: one of the challenges there uh from the warriors perspective is matching salary because almost every talented veteran player is going to be making a lot of money and theoretically you know maybe they could structure it if if Ubre wanted to go to the same place they could do a sign and trade with him maybe they could involve andrew wiggins but paying andrew wiggins more than 30 million a year for the coming year and the year after maybe some teams dig that maybe some teams don't um, so the the matching salary is a and then maybe it could be Clay or Draymond, but of course that opens up new new challenges for them. So but in terms of just purely the asset component of it. I do think that's one of the strongest packages that could be out there. I mean, they're the, those two picks. Whether the Minnesota pick conveys this year or next year, it's probably going to be a pretty strong one. I'm more optimistic that the Wolves will be better next year, but I don't think they'll be great. I mean, they don't really have that kind of personnel, and injuries can hit anybody. And so it could it could hit them again for sure. Yeah.
5: The, the um, Wolves have no flexibility to get better either.
3: They do not, and so I, I don't think the I think the Warriors intend to keep Wiseman. Though I do, my instinct is that they would consider moving him for the right player. But the other huge challenge is just who that player is now Bradley Beal would help them certainly. And if Clay Thompson becomes more of a three than a two, which I think is would be my theory of where he moves forward after recovering from this injury, then maybe you have the wiggle room to do it, but either getting somebody who's like a more versatile forward who could kind of make sense with Draymond at center or a guard like Nate's talked about with Kelly Oubre defending ones that if Clay is not doing that anymore, those are, those would be great things for this Warriors team. But I don't know if there's a player who is both good enough to, to justify including those picks and also on the market.
5: Yeah, that's the big problem, whether there is someone worth making the trade for. But I do agree with you uh, that they have one of the best packages of a place that realistically one of these players would want to go uh, because they would want to try to win. So, uh, let's take right. the next one today. Thank you.
3: Yeah, thanks for the question, Jack. Um, we actually we just ran out. We had one. We had one question before. Um, and it's, it's gone. Uh, but we, was...
5: we could hit one in the uh, in the comments, huh?
3: Yeah, there's a good one from AGNBA. Um, what do you think is a better situation for a rookie coming in on a terrible team and getting all the opportunity, like Trey Young, or a good jump coming in on a good team and growing in a winning situation, like Jason Tatum?
5: I think it depends what your position is. If you're right. a point guard, come in on a, a – you just want to get as many reps as you can in pick and roll. Uh, if you are a wing, then I think you, you're probably better off coming in a t- because the the defense is such a, a big part of it, and you're probably not going to be a guy who can create shots efficiently at the beginning, and you'll have a chance to kind of grow into the wings just generally seem to take a little bit longer to develop. Uh, You know, if you look at, like, guys like Ingram, Tatum was – even he – didn't really until his third year start to develop into that regular offense force. Jalen Brown is another one. These guys who are just wings who are not just going to be a superstar immediately, like Kevin Durant, kind of those second tier of wings, those guys take longer to develop. I think, and we've seen more of those guys develop well on a good team. And then the other good thing is, even if you're, you don't develop into that star, you've been kind of getting the reps as being a role player, which is what you need. And then a big, I think it can, it, it depends. I mean, we're seeing with James Wiseman that this. this. This is probably not the best situation for him, but maybe it'll turn out to be because he's got to kind of earn his minutes and defend and play harder as opposed to, you know, just um, throwing the ball to him in the post all the time uh, and running pick and roll with him every time. So I'm not sure uh, about it big, but I think uh, that's kind of how I, I would spread things out there. Uh, do you, any thoughts on that? Well, I, I
3: like the point that Sebastian made in, in the discussion about Kawhi Leonard. I mean, he's another, in some ways, maybe the, archety- runners, yeah. the archetype of that smaller role on a big team and expand. And yeah. I don't think that's the reason Kawhi became a star, but I don't think it hurt him in any, in any way shape or form. Bigs are complicated and I think that Like talking to talking to some players as I have over the years, that there's so much for them to learn defensively, and I would guess that having on-court experience helps with it in the long term. You know, like they're just you know getting the doing it through reps as opposed to just like watching in practice and everything else. But it is going to lead to some real awkwardness and growing pains. I mean, we've talked about Wiseman's limitations there quite a bit, and that's not necessarily predictive of what he's going to be moving forward. But it's there. Um, But I do think that the part for big of playing early that can be beneficial is understanding kind of your role within an NBA offense. Like I think that that can be a good thing to understand in the beginning because sometimes just for the development of like, oh, I need to learn this kind of footwork, getting better at setting screens and all that, that, Knowing what's expected of you is beneficial for that development, though I'm sure coaching staffs can do it without it. And you can think of like the guy who comes to my mind for that is Jermaine O'Neal. Like Jermaine O'Neal was a smaller role and then built him, became a, a valuable player for, for the Pacers without, you know, a lot of early reps.
5: All right, is that it? Are we done here?
3: I'm going to look for I'm going to look for one more comment because we started a little bit late. Oh, so somebody asked I mean, we could just do this briefly. We talked about it a little bit before um, for outlook on Six Man. So I think just in terms of I instead of talking about who we think deserves it, just briefly like I think I think Clarkson's the favorite to win it, especially because he's he's on that on that best team. Um, and, and it's also a challenge, like Tyrese Halliburton's having a really nice year and I could imagine a groundswell for him, but the Kings aren't doing that well. And Harrell, depending on how these next two weeks go for the Lakers, I could see, I could see Harrell getting the award, especially if they, you know, they're better than expected. And then the Lakers get into, let's call it the four seed. And it was, you know, they, this stretch without AD and without LeBron, it's not disastrous. I could, I mean, Harrell has been an important part of whatever success they've had during the stretch. So I could see him getting back in.
5: Yeah, and also some guys might just not make it in terms of games started as well i think young and halliburton are are like right on that line where if they started every game the rest of the year uh it would be close um all right thanks so much for joining us everyone we'll be back at the same time if you want to join john hollinger and i tomorrow you can do that we're doing a special time 7 p.m eastern four pacific uh, tomorrow for john and i we usually do our full pod and then we'll take questions for about the last 20 minutes or so so uh thanks for joining us and uh